One of the most basic concepts of economics is wants versus needs. A need is something you can't survive without. Think food, water, and nowadays, the internet. Okay, you can live without the internet, but you need it if your online business is to survive. Now, a want is something you would like to have, but it's not a matter of survival. Wants would include most items that make up a person's bucket list. I will admit, there are wants that can determine survival or not surviving. Would I survive if I ran with the bulls in Pamplona? I don't know. Maybe. Now my wife says I'm too old and too slow to survive running with the bulls. What she really means is this. If I run with the bulls and they don't catch up with me, she will. I think I'll skip running with the bulls this year. For many, much of life is spent acquiring what we need and as many wants as possible. To help us out, billions are spent on marketing and advertising to convince you that a want is actually a need. Do I really need a solar-powered toothbrush? I'm thinking the answer is no. My problem is this. I am constantly entertaining the idea that one more gadget, one more tool, one more trip, one more experience, or one more scoop of ice cream would make my life complete. I'm also tempted to do the same thing spiritually. If I'm just a member in the right church, if I have a great worship experience on Sunday, if I enjoy a great small group fellowship, or if I experience a life-changing mission trip, or even a powerful spiritual encounter, if I just do one of these things, it will make my spiritual life more complete. Now that's my temptation, but here's reality. The reality is, what I want and pursue spiritually is not usually what I need. I need to realize that I don't need just the right church, just the perfect small group, or even a higher spiritual experience in order to experience God more. What I need to realize each day is that Christ is to meet all my spiritual needs, and with Him I have no wants. Listen to Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is a God that can supply every one of my needs. Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If the Lord truly is the one who guides He's also going to be the one who provides. I'll have no wants when I follow the shepherd. And thus I know from the Bible that living and trusting in God is the key to my living a fully satisfied life. I know living for Christ offers satisfaction, but what I desire, purchase, or spend my time on doesn't always reflect that truth. As I look around at what people are striving for, I observe that I'm not the only one who spends time, effort, or finances into fulfilling wants that will quickly grow stale or even boring. When we take inventory of our time, many of us will have to admit that a great deal of time is spent taking care of wants that will not matter in a few months, if not weeks. Most of us will admit we know our wants and we work hard to meet them. Some of us are more successful than others in meeting our wants. But what does that really mean in life? Have we figured life out? Really? Listen to Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. 
the Bible clearly teaches that not everything that seems right is actually right. The Bible makes it clear that a stronger, emotionally healthier, more productive life doesn't require more stuff or experiences. Stuff will soon get old, and the memory of experiences often fades over time. What we really need is Jesus. Today, I hope you will be challenged to invest and give your life to Jesus completely and purposefully. That change in focus will make all the difference in your life. And here's a challenge for us. The world is filled with distractions, substitutes, and options to give your life to. All too often, the substitute for Christ that we choose is based on what feels good, what's less demanding, or what will blend in better with people around us. Ultimately, you'll be the one to choose where your time, energy, talent, resources, and passion are directed. In this passage, we see an example of what happens when a guy has the financial ability and opportunities to seek out and satisfy his wants and needs according to his own way of thinking. In the story, he will admit to losing everything. Why is that? It's because he didn't recognize his greatest need. Remember, as we read this story, we are not to follow his example. Instead, as believers in Christ, we must confess that, and here's the main point of the message, all I need is Jesus. At the end of the message, we will be challenged to take practical, measurable, and repeatable steps toward a life lived for Christ. I hope you will understand today that Jesus is all we really need because in the end, we have absolutely nothing if we don't have Jesus. We can attempt to satisfy our needs with stuff we do and stuff that we own, but those things can be gone in an instant. Only what God gives us is truly secure. If a person is intent on building their own life and meeting their own needs, then eventually they will experience what the guy in our story experienced. Listen to Judges 18, verse 24. And he said, You take my gods that I made and the priest and go away, and what have I left? Have you experienced loss in the past and wondered, Do I have anything left to live for? Well, let's see what the root cause of the man's situation and learn from his example. We begin with Judges chapter 18, verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. If you listened to the previous message, then you know what no king in Israel signifies. It means everyone doing whatever they want. You also know from the previous chapter that everyone doing whatever they want leads to trouble. Here's the situation in this chapter. The Denites are looking for land because they have refused to obey God. In Joshua 19, the tribe was commanded to reside in the land between Ephraim and Judah. This area stretched all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. But there was a problem with the land Dan received. It came with horrible neighbors. They were called the Amorites and the Philistines. Later, the two groups would join, forming a formidable enemy for the people of Israel. 
Instead of trusting God and conquering the land as commanded, the tribe of Dan struggled with the task and were even driven off into the hill country. Some historians believe Dan did not assist Deborah and Barak in their attack against the Canaanites in Judges 4 because previously no other tribe came to their aid while they were trying to take their land. While the other tribes had partly fulfilled God's command to drive the Canaanites out of their inheritance, Dan was unable and was forced to live a nomadic life in the hill country. And thus in Judges chapter 18, we see that Dan was left with two choices. They could, first, trust God and take the land that God had reserved for them, or they could look for a new area which would be easier to take. They chose option two. I have observed, when people refuse to follow God's plan for their lives, then they are usually forced to find a substitute. Some of the busiest people I know are not following God's plan for their lives. No one rejects God's will that will not keep themselves busy with their own chosen substitute. Busyness is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us. There was a group in the tribe of Dan, tired of following God's plan, so they start thinking about a substitute. You may be listening to this podcast while questioning God's provision for your own life. Do you believe your life would be better if God blessed you differently? Are you looking for the next career, a new friend, a different hobby, interest, or even contemplating what life would be like with a different spouse? When you are attempting to meet needs and wants in your own life on your own, then you will experience that the satisfaction you thought you were going to enjoy never lasts. Judges 18, 2. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. In verse 2, we see the plan. Send out scouts to discover options. It's amazing the number of options the world has to substitute for obedience to God. There's always a substitute or an option instead of following God. The name Micah was introduced in the previous chapter. When we left him, he was living comfortably based on his own desires. He had wealth. He had his own shrine. He even had a Levitical priest in his household. It would be hard for him to ask for more in life. He has manipulated his life to meet his own spiritual, relational, and physical needs. And he was able to do it all without obeying God. Judges 18, 3 and 4. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. As these spies are heading through the tribal lands of Ephraim, they recognize a voice. And they ask him three questions. Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? What were the Levites' answers? Micah brought me here. Micah has given me work. And Micah has made me priest. And thus, instead of following God, the Levite was content at that time to be guided, provided for, and supported by Micah. Now pause for a moment and ask yourself those same questions. Are your answers like the Levites? Who brought you here? Who guided you to the city you live in? Was it 
God's guidance? What are you doing in your community? Are you focused on self, or are you serving because of Christ's leadership and guidance? What is your business? Was it God who opened the door for your employment, or do you look at your own skills and give credit to that? The Levites' answer to direction in life centered on the man Micah. God wasn't in the picture, and that can easily happen to a believer today. Judges 18, 5, and 6. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. They asked this, quote, man of God to inquire about their success. Notice they used the name of the Creator God instead of the Lord of the Covenant. They weren't necessarily following the covenant at the time. And so they saw God as the heavenly God of creation, but not the very present Lord of their covenant with Him. And what about the Levite's answer? His answer is typical of an answer when you really don't know the answer. He doesn't say they will be successful, and that was the question. He only responded by saying, The Lord is watching over your journey. The Levite would have made a great politician. And I can imagine that the Levite had practiced his skills a great deal with Micah. As long as Micah was paying his salary, then the Levite was going to give Micah the guidance Micah really wanted. And that's often the case in churches today. Some church members treat their staff with the idea that staff members should remember who's paying their salary. I believe a man or woman of God must decide whether to please men or please God. The Levite had learned the secret to pleasing men. He would tell them what they want without taking a stand on anything. But oftentimes, when you find yourself following the Lord, it requires sharing the truth. And that is not always the popular thing to do. Judges 18, 7 Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. After some bit of travel, the explorers do find a good land that can be taken without a need for the Lord to intervene. They preferred this land over the option of obeying God and fighting for their original land. The land lacked nothing, the inhabitants were evidently wealthy and comfortable, plus they were unsuspecting and isolated. The battle to take this land would be far easier than trusting God to take the land given to them by God. With their own strength, they could do this. Judges 18, 8-10 And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtual, their brothers said to them, What do you report? And they said, Arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And you will do nothing? Do not be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into our hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. The spies are excited as well as impatient. They urge their tribe to leave immediately. And after giving the sales pitch, they include this for extra pressure, for God has given it into your hands. 
God had already provided for them. They didn't want to follow God's plan to meet their needs. They simply wanted God to approve their plans to meet their wants. Judges 18, 11 through 13. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtual, and went up and encamped at Kirith-Jerim in Judah. On this account, that place is called Maneha-Dan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kirith-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. In verse 11, we see the response of the people to the report of the spies. Just two generations before the people of Israel listened to the fearful report of the spies in Kadesh Barnea and refused to follow God into the promised land. Now they are following their own plans and they eagerly pack up and head into the land the spies have scouted before them. A large number of men set out on the journey, 600 Danite men. The armed force of men was joined by up to 3,000 others, which would include wives, children, and older family members. On their way north, they took the same route the five explorers had used. Soon, the explorers find that they are back at Micah's house. Judges 18:14. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. As these people are moving north, their focus is on meeting their own needs. And now they recognize another need. They need religion. Micah's setup included an ephod, which was a priestly breastplate, small, transportable idols, and a large, silver-coated statue to serve as the focal point for worship. It's all they needed for a place of worship. And the spies, listen to what they say. Consider what you will do. Now, evidently, trusting and obeying God was not an option. Instead, they followed their own wisdom, their own desires, their own interests. Once again, we see proof that while there was no king in Israel— they did what was right in their own eyes. Judges eighteen fifteen through 17 And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the six hundred men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. You can imagine the the Levite was a little concerned, surrounded by 600 armed men at the gate. And all the Levite could do was stand there and watch as his master's religion was boxed up and prepared for travel. Judges 18, 18 through 21. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. 
In the story, we see the Levite challenged them briefly, but was very happy to leave with them. He was looking for a promotion when Micah offered him his position, and there really was no loyalty to Micah when an even more prestigious position was offered. And so what have we learned about this priest? He is focused on his situation. He will serve whoever will pay him. He will say what people want to hear, and he will leave whenever a better option is made available. We have no record of him needing nor seeking the Lord. Now the Danites continue their journey north by placing the children and livestock ahead of them. They are probably expecting a confrontation with the former owner of their new shrine, and thus they put the vulnerable in front and put the warriors in back. Judges 18, 22, and 23. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you, that you come with such a company? Here's what's happening. Micah returns home to discover that his religion and his priest are gone. All Micah has to do is see the tracks of thousands of people to know which direction his religion had left him. And thus, with so much at stake, Micah gathers his neighbors to go after his religion. Catching up to the caravan, Micah and his small band share their anger vocally with the rear guard of the Danites. Evidently, the Danites were expecting their size to silence any objections. And so the Danites yell back, What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? Here's a modern-day translation. Can't you see how foolish it would be to challenge us with your small number? Judges 18, verse 24. And he said, this is Micah, You take my gods that I made, and the priest, and go away? And what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? Here's what Micah realized. He attempted to meet his needs with stuff he could purchase, and a life he could create. Now he realizes the life he had created for himself could be taken away. Everything he had needed and based his life on was stolen. He had built up his religious life. He had a shrine with an idol, an ephod, various idols, and even a priest. He had built a comfortable life and worship experience. With those things in place, he felt he was assured of being blessed. But all that he had trusted in was now gone. Just when Micah felt that he, on his own, had acquired everything that he needed, he now discovers it doesn't last. Judges 18, 25, 26. And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. Basically, the people of Dan gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Be quiet, accept your loss, and live, or yell at us and die. The Danites, they then went on their way. They probably didn't look back. They weren't filled with remorse, and they didn't even say thanks for the idol. For Micah, when he realized he wasn't strong enough to keep what he had built, he went home empty-handed. Here's what we know. When a person attempts to live life on his or her own without needing God, they will discover disappointment in the end. Ultimately, a person will discover only emptiness when they attempt to replace their need for God with anything of this world.
Judges 18, 27-29. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. Following their encounter with Micah, the Danites went on to their destination. They arrive at their destination and then proceed to destroy the quiet and unsuspecting people of Laish. They then establish their own city and name it Dan. The Danites have chosen to follow an easier path than the one God had given them, and it appears that they have found success. But through the centuries, the generations to come will pay for their success. When God's people chose the easy path rather than God's path, they will always find themselves worshiping an idol. The idol may take on the form of a graven image or simply the trappings of success no matter how achieved. History will show that the darkness of worshiping demonic beings would be a plague and lead to the ultimate downfall of the city of Dan. Today, if you want to settle for the Christian life on your own terms— then you will find yourself serving a substitute for God. What is an idol? It's simply anything that replaces your commitment to God. Another final two verses, Judges 18, 30, and 31. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made, as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. And so the Denites set up their new worship center, and the identity of their priest is now revealed. He is the grandson of Moses. This could be why the tribe had recognized him and valued him. Now, while the grandfather was used by God to give the law to the people of Israel, the grandson had no qualms in compromising God's law to better his situation. This statement is true. God has no grandchildren. Every individual must find God personally and individually. And so what did the Danites do when they established their new city? They set up Micah's carved image. This action by the members of the tribe of Dan would lay the foundation for the two golden calves King Jeroboam would make and set up in the city of Bethel and the city of Dan. The city of Dan would become a cultic center of worship in the northern kingdom in direct violation of God's commands to Moses. Note the progression we see in this chapter. The sin started with one man stealing money from his mother, and the mother dedicating the returned money to the son for the purpose of a personal and family idol. The idol would soon be the object of cultic worship for a tribe, and eventually that place would be a center of cultic worship for a nation. And yes, As readers, we can't help but wonder how the same nation that paid a huge price for Aaron's golden calf in the wilderness thought it was a good idea to replicate it by two. In this chapter, we see a tribe born into God's people Israel, but now live outside God's land, who do not listen to God's word and worship Him in a way entirely at odds with God's command. For the next few centuries, Jonathan and his sons will lead the Danites in their worship of idols, 
And, initially, it appeared that everything worked out well for the people of Dan. But people don't always reap the harvest of sin immediately. Their city will be one of the two cities designated for idol worship when the nation of Israel is split into two. History records that there would be idol worship in that city until the land was taken by the Assyrians. And so, just as they took the idol from Micah, so one day God would take the land from them. Because Dan lived without needing God, in 1 Chronicles, the tribe of Dan is completely ignored. Because Dan lived without needing God, the tribe of Dan will be absent from the tribes listed in Revelation chapter 7. They had refused to follow God's mission for them in the land of Israel. Instead, they chose the easy way. They chose their own way. And thus, God refused to use them in a special ministry of blessing. The Danites lived as if they didn't need God. And we know for a fact, God certainly didn't need them. In the previous chapter, we met a man who acquired all that he thinks he needs for ultimate meaning, purpose, and blessing. And now in this chapter, he discovered how quickly everything in life can be lost. What a tragedy to hear him say, I have nothing left. Listen, the Bible teaches us that our lives are to be centered on God and not on the things of this world. And if you want to live a life of satisfaction and joy and purpose, then you need to recognize that all you need is Jesus. Now, what is it that you think you need today? The answer to that question will demonstrate the answer to my second question. Who do you serve today? Do you serve the Lord or do you serve an idol or a substitute? I believe a list of your needs will determine the direction of your heart. Do your daily decisions reflect a regular dependence upon Christ, or do they reflect a self-directed life? And remember this, what you consider a self-directed life is probably greatly influenced by your friends, your work, and even the culture. No one is completely independent. You simply choose who is going to influence you. The question today is, does God influence you and your wants and decisions, or does the world? Now, if you've ever thought about buying stock before you purchase that investment, you are encouraged to read the prospectus. It contains the facts an investor needs in order to make an informed investment decision. When I think about this, your time, your talents, your possessions, your wealth have all been given to you by God to invest. The Bible has been given to us as a prospectus so that we could make wise investment decisions. We now have choices in how we choose to meet our needs. You can invest foolishly in what the world offers to meet your needs. Everything the world offers can and will be taken away eventually. Ultimately, you will be left with nothing the world offers. That's choice one. Choice two. You can invest wisely in your relationship with Jesus and depend on His meeting your needs. And here's the promise of the Lord. Jesus will always satisfy and His blessings are eternal. Listen to Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That, my friend, is a testimony of someone who recognized that the Lord is all he needed. And so, with what we've discussed in mind, 
let me share a challenge with you. I want to challenge you to make a one-hour investment in your relationship with Jesus in the next seven days. I would encourage you to take practical, measurable, and repeatable steps toward a life lived for Christ. What can you do in that hour? You can spend an additional hour in prayer and Bible reading this week. You can invest one hour to serve someone in Christ's name this week. You can give one hour to ministry to your small group this week. There are so many ways that you can invest an additional hour into following God this week. And what will you discover when you invest more in God than the things of this world? You will discover that there is only one God, and He will never be taken away from you. Because Jesus is all you really need. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will stay with you. And in the end, you will have nothing if you don't have Jesus. Can you truthfully say, Jesus is all I want because Jesus is all I need. That's the goal, because one of the greatest truths found in the Bible is this. All I need is Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that after listening to this episode, you will make Christ first in your life, and you will recognize that He is all you need for life, for satisfaction, for purpose. If you already know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then step up to the task of following Him. Only God knows the impact you will make in the lives of those around you when you personally and visibly live for Christ. Now, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, why not today turn to Him and make Him your Lord and Savior? How do you do it? First, do you believe that God created you? The Bible says He created the world and He created you. And you know why He created you? He created you to have fellowship with you. He created you to love and to care for. That is God's plan for your life, whether you've realized it or not. When you were conceived, God had a plan for you. In fact, the Bible says that even before you were conceived, God knew you. So God knows you. And there is clear and ample evidence that he's been watching over you. The second thing you need to realize is there is a roadblock. There is a chasm that is keeping you away from God's fellowship and God's great love. And that chasm, that roadblock, that wall is your own personal sin. Are you willing to admit at this moment that it is because of your sin that you do not have a relationship with God? Are you willing to confess that you have disobeyed God in your actions and in your thoughts? Are you willing to ask for forgiveness? Because that's number three. Because God loves you so much, He sent His own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Every sin, everything that you've ever done wrong, every time that you've disobeyed God, every time you've disappointed God, every time you've turned your back on God, Every sin that you've committed, Jesus Christ died for. Now, salvation and forgiveness is not automatic. It is, however, available if you will ask Jesus to come into your life, if you will ask Him to forgive you of your sins, 
and if you desire and decide to make Him the Lord of your life. Are you willing to do that right now? If so, why not pray this prayer with me, inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Start by saying, Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I don't deserve God's love. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and that you were buried and that you rose again. Forgive me of my sin and come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. From this day forward, I choose to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. God wants to continue to walk with you, and He wants to bless you. And one of the ways, one of the greatest ways He has for you to be blessed is to have fellowship with other believers. I encourage you to find a church, a Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church in your area. Share with the pastor the decision that you have made. Maybe you have a close friend or a relative who is a believer, share your news with them and ask them to help you with your next steps. And I'd love to hear from you as well. You can reach me at discoverthebiblepodcast at gmail.com. I'll be happy to share with you more information about getting started walking with the Lord. Welcome once again to God's family. And to everyone, thanks for listening to Discover the Bible with Dr. James Arms. I'm glad you found this podcast, and I hope that you will share a positive review and, if possible, share this podcast with a friend. If you would like to learn more about being a follower of Christ or you have questions or comments about the podcast episode, you can contact me through email at discoverthebiblepodcast at gmail.com. If this is your first episode to listen to, please check out the other episodes. The book of Judges that I am about to finish is simply a start of a verse-by-verse discovery of truth that will help equip you to stand firm on biblical principles in an upside-down world. Occasionally, I will release What the Bible Teaches episodes to help listeners understand better the truth of God's Word. Recently, I uploaded a two-part series on the land of Israel. I encourage you to listen to both podcasts to find out what the Bible says about ownership and control of the land of Israel. Coming soon, I will begin a verse-by-verse analysis of the book of Revelation. This series will explain what the Bible teaches about future events, including the rapture, the tribulation, and the coming judgments. Thanks again for joining me in this verse-by-verse discovery of truth found in God's Word. As always, I consider it a privilege to share the truth of God's Word with you.